This episode of the Retail Oasis Retail Wrap-Up Podcast is proudly brought to you by Afterpay. Bye now, pay later. Welcome to the Retail Oasis Retail Wrap-Up Podcast for 2021. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this was recorded, the Guyamagal people of the Eora Nation. I acknowledge the Elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. In today's episode, we talk to Roman Jewell, the CEO and founder of Fix and Fog. Fix and Fog began around seven years ago when Roman and his wife, Andrea, decided to swap the corporate lifestyle for a labour of love, creating and selling a product they had a real passion for, nut butter. They had the vision of creating something meaningful and sustainable, all while being seriously delicious. Fast forward to today, where Fix and Fog have three physical retail windows in Auckland, Wellington, and Houston, Texas. They're stocked in America's second largest natural grocer, Sprouts Farmers Market, and this week they're launching in Australia's very own Woolworths. During our conversation with Roman, we discuss his motivation for creating the company and how it began, their successful distribution deal with Sprouts Farmers Market, and further plans for expansion into the US, opening retail windows as opposed to full physical retail offerings and the purpose behind this move, their latest distribution deal with Woolworths in Australia, Fix and Fog's journey to becoming New Zealand's first certified food B Corp, and finally, what the future holds for this business. A huge thank you to Roman for joining us. We hope you enjoy this conversation. So for any of our listeners who may not have heard of Fix and Fog, can you tell us about the company and its creation? Um, yeah, thanks, Maddie. Um, so Fix and Fog, I guess, is, a, is, a, is an artisan nut butter brand here in New Zealand. Um, we've been around for about seven years now. Um, and we started pretty small. We kind of just like a grassroots company that started uh, with my wife um, and myself really just making nut butter um, in the evening and on weekends, just kind of around our day jobs. And we just sell it at, at local farmers markets. And we've just had, I guess, had really nice organic growth. We had a lot of kind of local support here in New Zealand. People kind of got into it and loved it, backed it. And we've grown, I guess, into a, a national and um, I guess a fledgling international um, company now as well. Amazing. And what was the motivation behind creating it? Like you obviously love nut butter and, and wanted to change, so you decided to progress that? Yeah, um, I just I guess there's a lot a lot to that. So we were both lawyers. Um, Andrea and I met um, in the UK. We were both studying um, at uh, King's College, doing a master's. And uh, Andrea's English and I was a Kiwi and I kind of convinced her to, to come back to New Zealand and, and we kind of settle into life here. And we, we started and we just got kind of the day job, um, but it didn't really resonate that deeply with us. And so we just went about exploring ways where we could, I suppose, just do something a little bit more meaningful. Um, and we really liked eating healthy, loved peanut butter, which is the roots of the business, um, and just thought that Maybe that was something we could get into, not not necessarily in the sense as a business, but just something that we could explore as a hobby. And so, uh, Fix and Fog is really just just a, a hobby that that morphed into a business, um, and um, it just kind of it kind of went from there. The the idea, I think, that when you create something tangible and, and something pretty special like food, is is people have opinions on that and they give you feedback, and if they like it, they'll stick with it and they'll they're really kind of support you on that on that journey and that's been something we've, we've really noticed with with our business um yeah 
And I think I read online and I was going to ask, is it true that you were both successful uh, international corporate lawyers before you started this quest? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know about successful. No, look, we we had we 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 did we did we both had really kind of yeah good good legal careers. Um, I actually spent a lot of time um, working in Aussie. I lived in Sydney for eight years, working in um, a couple of law firms over there doing commercial litigation. And Andrea was a criminal barrister in London. So yeah, look, we 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 kind of rolled the dice on on our legal careers, and, and we had a good good run in it. But it, this is, I guess, just the next chapter for us in that. And it's funny when you start. We, I guess you do like kind of like a, a sideways leap, like going from law into food. You'd think that they're quite different businesses and you don't have, um, I guess, a lot to draw on. But the kind of, I guess, some of those skills of just time management and being able to write clearly and all those things about how to problem solve, which you do in your legal career, we have actually relied on in this business. And it's been quite, quite interesting. It's good that there's like that mix of, you know, your previous, your past life career and then this one kind of came together nicely. Yeah, it's, it's there's that, I guess, the blending. And, and maybe it's when you're just, you're approaching things with fresh eyes that you, you do have to rely on your old experience to help kind of guide you. Um, I was actually quite nervous starting Fix and Fog, thinking I wouldn't get that intellectual stimulation that you have in, in like a career like law, but I, I couldn't have been further from the truth. Like it's, there's so much thought and critical analysis and yeah, thinking that goes into this business that um, it's probably in many ways much harder than um, I found working as a commercial litigator. Yeah. And I mean, I have to ask, so I know you said that nut butter was something that was a, you know, a hobby, but why nut butter of all things? <laughs> uh, well, we guess... There's that idea, like, and so we, we actually tried a bunch of things before we settled on nut butter. I remember I, I kind of did a cheese-making course and I tried beekeeping and tried to brew some beer and it kind of just did all the, these things badly. And I, I'd actually say, <laughs> say the same about um, doing peanut butter at the start, like just never quite got it right. But that idea, I guess, when something grabs you, that you it kind of hooks you in and you just get drawn into it. I mean, I, I, one, I really like the product. I like that kind of idea of trying to chase perfection by, by doing – a whole bunch of small things really well to create the overall thing um, at an excellent level, and so it's just it's just it just hooked us really. I like the fact that it's it's plant based, um, it's healthy, um, and and for me now the the business is as much a business as a, as a creative outlet for us. Like it lets us experiment with different flavors and usage and, and things like that. Definitely. And I think that idea of going niche and doing it really well, it's, you know, suits this brand perfectly. And, and a lot of retailers, I think, learn that, you know, you can't be everything to everyone. So choose something and do it really well. And it sounds like you guys are really nailing that. I couldn't agree with you more. And I th actually think one of that's kind of grounded us at the start. It really helped us focus because you can kind of get attracted to lots of different areas. And, you know, arguably because we do nuts, could we do cereals or, or nut bars or other things like that? Even even though arguably it might stay in the same category, it just feels so good to really nail our little space. Um, and not just through time and energy, but your reputation builds out around that. You're known for doing excellence and I, and I think that's such a good starting point because that can carry you anywhere. 
Definitely. And I'd love to discuss if I could, you know, your push into the US um, through a distribution deal that you guys have done with America's second largest natural grocer, Sprouts Farmers Markets. Talk to us about being stocked, you know, in 360 supermarkets in 36 states. Like that's really impressive. Yeah, thanks, Maddie. Um, yeah, it's still a bit of a pinch yourself moment here for us. And it didn't come easy. I think we did a lot of homework and a lot of research in America before we, we snagged that deal. Um, we kind of started really looking for a, a strong export market for the business. We're kind of sitting down here in New Zealand thinking, look, we do a really great thing here. Where can we kind of try and elevate that and put that on a larger global stage? And America's the home of nut butter. It's the home of peanut butter. It's the world's largest consumer. And I guess the same breath, though, by default, it's also the most competitive market. But we wanted to play in that space. We, we wanted to show that we were the best of the best. Um, and we, 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 in many ways, just like how we started in New Zealand, we just started small there. We, we put some products on Amazon. And going for that e-commerce e kind of site really just let us test the market. It let us kind of get good at what we were doing. We made a bunch of mistakes. And, and, and just kind of that trial idea, getting better at shipping and, and how we could supply all the way from New Zealand and how we're going to talk to the American consumer and what they wanted to hear, which was slightly different to the Kiwi consumer. Um, but that foundation on Amazon, I think, gave us a confidence to start pitching to uh, physical retailers. And we, we were lucky enough to get picked up in one supermarket chain in Texas last year called Central Market, and they have 10 beautiful stores across Texas. And we really proved our concept in those stores, um, and consumers liked it and came back for more. And we could show that in the sales data that we pitched to Sprouts. And so, yeah, Sprouts is, um, is, a, is a pretty neat opportunity for us. We have another opportunity coming up with the largest um, specialty grocer, which starts in July's Whole Foods. Um, and so they are also going to national range our products. So we've had a little business that started in 10 supermarkets in America at the start of this year. And in the space of seven months, we now go over into 1,000 stores, uh, which is quite phenomenal. It's also quite challenging, though, because we have to do it all you know, ourselves. We've got a small team, and we need to kind of deliver on promises that we've made to those guys and we have to ensure that the quality is there that the marketing is there to support the sales um, and we have to do it in an environment where COVID is present and so um, I personally and actually no one here from New Zealand is from Fix and Fog has had the opportunity to go and see our products on a, on a shelf in a supermarket so there's been a lot of trust in the small team that we have on the ground um, and I think a lot of learning from those guys too. Definitely. And how does that work? So um, you have a team over in the US who kind of oversees things? Yeah, we, we built a, a small little team. I really looked at the US market and the, the supermarket retail space and wanting to, to kind of be a, a champion for those guys. I didn't just want to be another exporter from New Zealand um, or this side of the world. And so it's, it's, it was that idea of putting people on the ground, people that could represent the brand. And we didn't just build a team, we also built a window, um, which we have here in New Zealand. We have a small retail window. It's like a tasting window. People can come up and they can try our nut butter. They can talk to someone from Fix and Fog and ask us questions. It's a space for collaborations. Um, and it's a space for us to also showcase the nut butter and a smoothie or a breakfast bowl or on toast and things like that. And we wanted to take that to the States as well. We wanted to give the Americans that kind of that little slice of specialness that we have here in New Zealand. 
I think for the retailers who looked at that, maybe um, I'd like to think they took us a bit more seriously than other brands that might be pitching to them, that we'd actually kind of tried to stick down roots in their country to show that we were going to be around and that we were serious about that market. But look, that, that, that just started with one person that was a friend of a friend, and now there's, yeah, it's a little team of four over there. That's brilliant. Um, I have to ask, why the US first and not Australia? Yeah, good question. Um, we, yeah, I mean, we, we'd always tried Australia. We just kind of um, dabbled in it lightly ever since we are at the start. Maybe that's because there are a bunch of Kiwis living over in Aussie or asking for it. I've got some Aussie mates from my time working there and they'd asked for it. So we just kind of played around with it, but it, we never did it properly. And um, we kind of had this vision or maybe more of a mantra that if you're going to export, it takes two years in any market for it to actually work. You've got to invest time and energy and money. Um, and so we thought, look, if we're going to spend two years, why not spend two years in the biggest market where we could probably get the most traction? And so it was really just that concept of, of trying to create as much noise as we could in the biggest possible market, which was America. Um, but, yeah, no, nothing against the Australian retail landscape. Still a much, much bigger market than than New Zealand, um, yeah. Definitely. And what do you think it was about Fix and Fog that helped you crack the US market and that cultural difference? Like the customer is obviously really different over there and the first thing that kind of comes to mind is, to me is that uh, PB&J sandwich idea, you know, like whereas your yeah. to me feels like it's got less preservatives and less sugar than that, you know, that kind of idea. Yeah, like we're definitely not the first to do this, but but perhaps we do it slightly better than, than the others. But bringing innovation to a market, and I'll touch on that point you raised before about really just sticking to your thing and doing it really, really well. Like we just try and own nut butters and do a great job on those, and it's right through from the quality of the ingredients to the taste to the roast to how we market it to how the, the jar looks on shelf, the fact that it's a glass jar where plastic's quite ubiquitous in America, and like you said before, keeping it natural without preservatives, without palm oil. There's a big kind of values thing there with the brand, which which has always been there, and it was something that when we started the business, we always wanted it to have strong values. Um, we wanted it to, if we are going to build a business, we wanted it to be something that we were really proud of, not just, not just in terms of the product and, and the growth, but how it went about doing business. And so... The B Corp certification, just like you guys, has been something that we've been really proud to get behind. Um, the American customer is different. Yeah, like you talk about a PB&J. Americans mostly eat nut butter in a sandwich. In New Zealand, probably Aussie too. Like we're eating it on toast for breakfast in the morning. So there's just these little nuances. Uh, and it's just understanding those right down to simple stuff and simple mistakes too. Like, I mean, we, we rolled in calling it crunchy. And Americans call it chunky and we call it smooth peanut butter and they call it creamy. You know, it's just, just really dialing in a bit more on that side of things as well. And in terms of the retail landscape, um, I mean, a, a grocery buyer is looking for many of the same things that a New Zealand or an Australian buyer is looking for. So that actually is some common ground that we had. And that relates to like trying to create a really great customer experience. So delighting the customer when they walk down that aisle of the, the nut spread section going, wow, this is cool. I'm, I'm keen to try that giving them really good quality at a good value price and also making it work for that supermarket. So giving them the margin that they need to run their big operation. And I think you wrap all those up and you try and understand who the customer is. And for us, it's the end user, but it's also the supermarket and try and just to tick those boxes for those guys. Um, yeah. 
Excellent. And I know that you mentioned previously that you guys started online on Amazon. So how come you didn't go the Whole Foods route or did you try that one and it just wasn't a fit for you? Yeah, so we we really needed to, I guess, prove ourselves. So um, I, I, I think we needed to build that data story. I think we've sold around 60,000 jars on Amazon now. Like Now when we turn up to a retailer and we want to talk to them, we're like, hey, we're not just... We're not just this company from New Zealand that's having a punt. Like we've been here for three years. Uh, we've got really good, loyal customer base. You got a ton of five-star reviews. We've got a really good product. Americans love it. Give us, a, give us a chance. I think if we turned up cold and tried to knock on Whole Foods' door, we would have been one of a, you know, a similar number of hundreds of companies trying to do the same thing. And so you couple that with the fact that we built a team on the ground. We built a retail space. Like we really showed that that we were trying to work hard to be in America. Brilliant. And that kind of needs uh, leads me nicely into my question about your retail window in Houston. Yeah. So how did you choose this spot as your first US offering? Yeah, it's pretty rare. It sounds quite random, doesn't it? Like, um, <laughs> Because when we were talking about it, and, and many people in Australia and New Zealand probably think the same, it's like if, you, if you're going to pick a, a city in the US, why would you choose Houston over somewhere like LA or Chicago or New York? I mean, I thought I was pretty clever, you know, we're going back a year and a half, there used to be a direct flight from Auckland yeah. to to Houston, uh, COVID successfully wiped that off the face of the earth. But we, um, it was really led by a couple of things. I think Texas is an amazing state, it's quite underrated and um, underappreciated, I think, down in this part of the world. It's a huge economy, I mean, Houston itself is uh, city that's growing at great knots. If it hasn't overtaken Chicago as the third largest, I think it's on the cusp of it. It's just a city of 8 million. Texas itself, just on its own, is the ninth largest economy in the world. So it's it's a really big state. And you've, you've got this kind of triangle of really big cities of Houston, Dallas, and Austin that are all within about a three or four hour drive from each other. And so when you looked at it from an opportunity, a population base, the, the retail landscape there, you had a fantastic set of supermarkets like Central Market. You've got Whole Foods as headquartered in Austin. It actually made a lot of sense for us to be there. We also found our, our first guy on the ground was based in Houston. And I'm kind of a firm believer of backing people. Um, and, you know, Blake um, stuck his hand up and said, let me help you own Houston. Let's just focus on this city to begin with and we'll go for it. And I really was attracted to that. So we had two theories why we thought you went to Houston. We thought, yeah. the first one we thought was the direct flight, the Air New Zealand direct flight <laughs> over there. That was our first theory. And our second was we thought maybe there was um, better nut production there or something, or maybe you were getting, you know, doing that, doing it on the ground there. And so good to know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, I spent, I spent most of 2019 just jumping on planes to the States, just going everywhere. And I went to kind of those other cities I mentioned. I went to other places, went through Pennsylvania. I went to Colorado, just having a look around and really trying to understand, one, where would we like to base ourselves? And what did those different retailers look like in different states? Um, really drawn to, to Texas at kind of the end of that. Um, there's this, and I think we have it here in our Antipodean society, that Southern hospitality, Americans have that down South too. They're really welcoming. And so I always felt like a lot of support from people in Texas. And we still do, to be honest. Definitely. Um and why a retail window rather than a full store? I mean, I know you mentioned that this way you are able to test, you know, small products or your product on other products that we would normally have. But why just the window and not a full store? Yeah, 
Uh, well, there's a couple of reasons. I happily admit to the first one. We don't have a lot of money. Um, we're a husband and wife owned business, so there's no big kind of private equity firm backing us. So <laughs> the idea of turning up on a main street and opening a, a super large retail outlet, one is kind of scary. Um, and I just don't think we could justify the spend on something like that. But a window is small, so it's much more cost effective. but intimate, so it's a different sort of experience than a shop, and I like that. The fact that we had one here in New Zealand as well made it a lot easier to replicate and we knew how we were going to style it and what the offering would look like. And so we were kind of sticking on firm ground by, by going down that path. And there's another thing in that is that I always think it's important to be different. And I don't know of any other nut butter windows in the world. And <laughs> that, that creates attention. And I think, you know, we live in an age where media is always looking for the next thing to write about. We've had some lovely press just because we've had that different experience for people. And so, I, look, we call it our anchor point in the US. It's a very, very small anchor point, but it, it's one that just kind of sits really well with this brand. Definitely. And there must have been huge benefits for you once, you know, 2020 and COVID kicked in where you didn't have to worry about those restrictions, just having a window. Yeah. There, there were other kind of, there were, there were other hardships like like the whole retail landscape and you guys will, will know so much more about it than me but you know we lost so much foot traffic from that space and we're still kind of struggling to, to get people to come back to our window but what we did was just really then double down on that online offering and and building a team out that was really good about helping kind of fulfill our online store fulfill amazon um, and just provide really good uh, customer service via email and telephone Brilliant. And are there any further plans to create any more concepts or windows or stores in the US? Uh, well, for now, we will really just bed into Houston. Um, and we could probably just live there for another 10 years without needing to focus on any other city, really, just because it's so big. I would love to kind of see these windows in other parts of the States because, you know, it's, it's, a, great, it's a great way for us to engage with customers. We're in this environment of hyper growth at the moment, so it's really just making sure we deliver to those supermarkets and so making sure we get the product to sprouts on time and then gear up for the Whole Foods launch. Um, those things are kind of taking up the majority of our focus. There'll always be the other innovation piece, though, the flavours that we bring um, and where we can kind of use nut butter in kind of weird and wonderful ways. We love that. It's a big part of us. Um, and so there'll, be, there'll still be that going on in the background. Can you talk to us about the weird and wonderful ways that you do get your nut butter out to people? Yeah, so we, um, well, firstly, I love it how um, peanut butter, almond butter, cashew butter, it's a product that lends itself to being either like plain or sweet or savoury. So you've got this kind of full spectrum of taste to play with. Um, and that's pretty exciting for us. The way we kind of develop MPD here is um, it's quite organic. It's led a lot by sometimes customers. So people reaching out to us on social media, or if we kind of see a trend of people asking for the same thing over and over again, we'll do that. We, we do it internally as well, just with our, with our team here. It's like, what do we like? What would we want to see? Trying to put ourselves in the shoes of the customer being the end user, but also the supermarket. What are, what are those guys looking for? What can we bring to that category? Um, I, I kind of um, love the, the, the different size options that, that we can have now, like catering a large protein peanut butter for the person that's really into fitness and healthy eating and plant-based plant foods. That could be a large jar versus kind of the, maybe the kind of more decadent flavors like the dark chocolate peanut butter or the almond cashew maple, which come, come in a smaller offering. 
Definitely. And I have to ask, will Fix and Fog be entering Australia next? Um, yes, it will actually. Um, and it's a very timely question. Thanks, Maddie. But yeah, look, we're, we're lucky enough that we've, um, we've been working with Woolworths over the last couple of months, um, just about that idea of trying to bring a little bit more excitement to their nut butter category. Um, and um, we are very shortly going to be popping up in all the Woolies stores across Aussie um, with a couple of our flavours, everything butter. Um, which is eight nuts and seeds and also granola butter which is very it's kind of like the the sweet sister to everything butter and it's got um, it's got oats in it so two two really cool interesting nut butters that will be popping up in australia i really love that idea particularly because that area of the supermarket has been saturated by the same brands for so long and to see somebody come in that's doing something that isn't the same over-processed kind of stuff that we're used to, I think it almost changes the mindset that nut butter becomes something that's actually good for you rather than that's a treat. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it can still be a treat. And I, I, uh, and it's something that, you know, like we talk about the values, it's something that we're, we're pretty big on. We, we put ourselves in the shoes of the consumer. We want to we eat healthy and we want to also eat really yummy food. So why not give that to to the supermarket. Um, I love seeing the fact that um, nut butter and particularly plant-based um, foods are just having this kind of explosion at the moment. You see it with things like oat milk and, and other products. But for something like nut butter that was traditionally reserved for the start of the day for breakfast here, now kind of pops up in your lunch. For me, it's like my 3 p.m. afternoon kind of pick-me-up. I'll just eat it straight off a spoon. And I you know, I like seeing that usage carry over, and I think that's a really cool place when you start playing outside of just breakfast. Definitely. For me, it, um, I think it's a, uh, a pregnancy thing. I just became obsessed while seeing everybody on TikTok eating <laughs> peanut butter on toast yeah. jam, and I was like, I've never thought of putting jam on it. And so yeah. that's my new thing now. That's my go-to. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, Maybe your crazy pregnancy cravings will lend you down the path of like we're doing something at the moment from our, our retail window. We've got everything butter with kimchi, pickles, and cheese. Um, that's a pretty good combo as well. So that's maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. look into that one. Well, <laughs> I'll be doing it, adding it to cart. <laughs> Can you talk to us about your journey to becoming New Zealand's first certified B Corp in the food sector? Yeah. Um, well, and you guys will know this too, you know, like you, you kind of lead with your values and, and you put some considerations aside around time and cost and all those sorts of stuff. But the B Corp certification that, that people that aren't familiar with it, it's like businesses for good. And it really is something that rips apart your whole business and looks really deep at it and, and right across from your carbon footprint to the way you treat the staff. Um, to what you do in the community right down to what electricity provider you're using. And it's a process, I think, that took us a little over 12 months to get through, um, and it's quite rigorous. You get, um, you get assessed, and after that assessment, then you get audited as well. And if you pop out above the magic 80 points out of 200, then, then you're considered a B Corp certified business. We were lucky to get through that. But it wasn't easy. We, we, we needed to make a, a lot of changes ourselves. We were doing a lot of good things already, like we, we donate a lot of food to actually kind of food banks both here in New Zealand and, and now the States and we're paying the living wage for a long time but there was still we we're probably deficient in a lot of policies that we had and so we really needed to sharpen our game and our suppliers as well as making sure that they are aligned with us as well so it's an ongoing process I'm, I'm so pleased that we're part of the community uh, the community 
he the community has been ultra supportive like thank you to you guys for reaching out to us um but i think it's something where you're never you're never you're never going to hit perfection you just constantly need to keep updating what you do and trying to improve it just by chipping away at it um little by little really so look i'd encourage other businesses to seriously look at it make the commitment around time you're going to need months of investment and just plug away at it but know that at the other end is a group of businesses that want you to succeed and want to support you when you're through it. Definitely. And I think for us, um, we may, we might just be a little bit competitive, but we also really want to beat our score each year. And I think that becomes like quite a nice challenge, but it definitely um, has forced some changes upon us. Have you found the same thing in trying to meet the criteria that you you've made some changes? Yeah. And, and, and it's really made us try and tackle the hard parts of the business, the, the, the issues around food waste, around plastic, around our carbon footprint. We don't grow nuts in New Zealand, so we have to import a lot of our raw ingredients. There's some big challenges for us, but we're kind of up for it. And it's just, it's just that idea of plugging away at it and not being, not being afraid to look at where you're deficient and, and where you want to improve. Excellent. And uh, the last, well, we're coming towards the last few questions, but I'd love to know, I mean, it feels like you guys are doing so much and you're in the middle of this kind of boom with your brand um, in the US, of course, and of course now in Australia. But what does the future look like for you guys? Like what's next? Um, man, that's such a good question. And, 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 and you know, we're, yeah, like we're in, this, we're in this kind of big growth play at the moment. The immediate kind of what next for us is really we just we just want to do a good job at what we do day in day out. Is that with with scale the whole kind of supply chain gets stretched, our team gets stretched, production hours get stretched, and just trying to make sure that we maintain the quality. That's always first and foremost because I think as soon as you make compromises in that space, you're doing yourself and your customer a disservice. So doing the day to day really well, we want to continue to innovate. We think what we've shown, I guess, with um, two epic retailers like Sprouts and Whole Foods getting behind the brand is that we're, we're onto something that Americans really want. And so it's making sure that we can roll out across America in a way that is sustainable for us, but also in a way that gets fix and fog into more homes across America. And now with Woolworths working really hard with those guys over the next 12 months to help kind of grow their nut butter category and grow their consumers. So those are kind of the two big focuses for us. Definitely. And I think with, you know, us seeing in the last 12 months, it's really kind of accelerated due to COVID, but people now really care about where the products that they're consuming come from, who's made them, you know, what's actually in this product that I'm constantly consuming. People really care more now. And so it's nice to have you guys there and to have a really nice um, list of ingredients that you actually understand. Yeah, thanks, Maddie. I think I think there's there's that, isn't there? There's there's people are, that, that 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 first question is what's in it, who's making it. I'd go one further and, and ask why are they making it. Is is this a is this a is this a group of people that are doing it for the right reasons? Do I want to kind of support groups like this? Um, and that's that's pretty cool when you when you see that. And I think when I look at um, the American food market, it, there's some pretty stagnant offerings there from very large corporations. There's some equally there's some cool other little companies like Fix and Fog, but disrupting that I th- I, I think is is pretty exciting space to play in for us. Definitely. So um, my second last question is one that we plan on asking everybody who comes on the podcast this year, and it's a personal one. But what is your preference, in-store or online? 
I think they. I think. Oh, okay. I, I am. I am gonna. I am gonna pick one. But I, I think they are both relevant. And and like, if you look at our journey, and if I just take America, it was online first, and then moving to in store. But if I peel it back to New Zealand, we were always at farmers markets talking directly to customer. I think the intimacy of being in a shop as something special. So being being in, in the environment around other food, around people who are interested in shopping about um, the staff that know what's on their shelf is 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 a is a is probably a deeper experience. Um, and so I, I like playing on shelf. Um, it's not that we don't like online for us, we just couldn't be present across fifty states in America. We can't service stores of 330 million people, but we could do so from a place like Amazon. Let us prove ourselves, but it's that it's that on-shelf space that we're pretty excited about now. Definitely. Um, and the last question, one that we're again asking everybody who comes on the podcast, and it's a biggie, so good luck. Mm. <laughs> but what, <laughs> what does the future of retail look like to you? Um, I think it's going to be impacted by technology. You know, we're we're in this we're in this age now where people are purchasing and they're becoming a lot more familiar with purchasing online. I still feel like the physical store has a place. I think um, what it might lend itself to is focusing more on specialty, interesting items rather than um, ubiquitous standardised items like dishwashing liquid and perhaps toilet paper and things like that. So that when you go into a, a store, you're looking for more excitement, you're looking for innovation and creativity. Um, that's what I think retail looks like. And I think this idea that customers will come back, I think we'll get through COVID and customers will want that experience of going to be physically present when they shop, I think will come back. And it's about how stores now engage those people thank you so much for listening to this episode of the retail oasis retail wrap-up if you enjoyed the chat we'd love you to rate and review it plus remember to subscribe and you'll be automatically notified when the next episode airs if you'd like to learn more about retail oasis please head over to retailoasis.com or find us on instagram twitter Facebook and TikTok. Yes, we're there too. To support our show, simply tell a friend or send this episode on to someone you know who would appreciate more retail knowledge. And finally, thank you to our sponsor, Afterpay. Bye now, pay later.